0: Hey gang, Red Hills Rancher here with your weekly episode of Ranching Reboot. Got a special one today. Got my friend Jason Meadows. He's the host of the Ag State of Mind podcast. He's joining myself and CK. And we're going to have a little chat about uh, his podcast and mental health and ag. So Jason, welcome to the show.
1: Hey
2: guys, thanks for having me. It's, uh, It's a pleasure to be here and I'm really excited to chat with you guys.
0: Well, it's great to be here. So, uh... So what's new with you? What's new on the Ag State of Mind podcast lately? So, you know, it's kind
2: of we're in that season where um, it's just kind of uh, there's no real. I, I, a lot of in the in the past I have really tried to go with themes and such, mm-hmm. such, but but now I'm just kind of just whatever comes at me. And you know, I had a one of the best conversations this week with a guy by the name of Michael DeSau, uh, who has the vets and ag podcast. Um, Brian, it's something you should really check out. Um, he, uh, he's, uh, he's a military veteran. He's a former Marine. Um, and he is starting like this consulting company trying to match veterans with positions in agriculture. And, uh, I mean, I, I could have talked to the guy for five hours and not gotten everything out there. And it was, uh, it was a really, really cool conversation and just how the military can be such a great place for, uh, to learn the skills that are needed in agriculture and obviously vice versa. It's just, uh, it was a really fascinating conversation that we got to have.
0: I'll have to check that out and, uh, and give that a listen. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes anybody that uh, listens to this one and speaking from experience there's there's a lot of ranch life that uh that looking back my military background really helps me out with
2: yeah i'd say that's probably true i mean i it, it
0: makes sense honestly
1: well yeah say more what do you mean by that brian
0: Knowing how to prioritize and, yeah. you know, and then when a crisis does come up or, you know, a, a very stressful situation, you know how to fall back to, you know, some training or, you know, that you've already thought through and you just got to go take care of it. Okay. Um, th- those would be the big ones. Um, it's really come in handy with pasture burning and help with coordinate and lead teams and, and accomplish really big burns. That's yeah. that's where a lot of it's really come in handy. I, I can see that. So um, tell us a little bit about your podcast. I mean, what do you guys normally talk about there? And, and how did you get into podcasting? So, um, you know, we my
2: favorite podcast of all time will always be the Working Cows podcast. I think that's probably where uh, a lot of the seeds were, were sown for this podcast, too. Mm-hmm. And um, I... I listened to I listened to Clay's podcasts so much, and um, I never really had an idea that I would actually have one of my own. But he had Aaron Berger on right shortly after the Nebraska floods of 2019, right? And he started. He just it was just a sidebar kind of in passing. He mentions like, yeah, we really worry about the mental health of the people that are involved in the flooding, you know, and that's really, and I told Clay for the first time a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, him and I had a phone call um, that that was Mm -hmm. kind of like, I think that's probably unconsciously or subconsciously, I guess. That's probably where it, where it started, where the, you know, started turning for me. Uh, But then we had an issue on our farm a couple of years or a couple of months later where there was a tractor fire uh, and I was away from home um carrie and i were in doubt carrie's my wife and we were in dallas at a conference and my son and my dad were putting up hay and uh levi calls me he was 14 at the time says there's a tractor fire and baylor caught fire first and then it uh he couldn't get it put out (laughs) you know I mean, stressful situation, right? But I remember how much better I, how how well I handled it and how much better I had handled it now that I had been working on trying to get better with anxiety, with um, not getting so stressed with things. And I realized I handled myself pretty well and said, you know, there's got to be people who struggle like me and want to tell the story of how they struggled gotten better and get that story out to the masses and um on that eight hour drive home from dallas uh Carrie and i kind of came we talked brainstormed and came and came up with it that i would start a podcast i had no idea what to do to start a podcast i'm sure you guys know it's like i mean it, I, i've <laughs> been there
1: <laughs> learn it learn as you go definitely. Learn as you go. and
2: uh you know I in fact reached out to Clay and gosh he helped me out so much and Brian you and I have talked about it he's just been so he's like a yeah. pot- podcast godfather I feel yeah. like yeah and he was just so like so gracious with his time and his knowledge. And he never got like, I mean, I'm sure like looking back now, I asked all kinds of dumb questions that, you know, that what would be dumb questions to me now. But, um, no, it, it, he was just so, so patient with me. And like if I'd have a question, he'd answer it. And then some, you know, it was just a really, uh, he made it so easy on me. Um, and just now here we are, I'm almost a hundred episodes in and, um, we've chatted with folks from around the country and the world, just all about the things, all things mental health, but also just health in general in ag, um, focusing on the human element. So much of agriculture, uh, focus, education, podcast, whatever it is, focuses on the production side. And that's really important. Um, But what we want to do is focus on the human side of it. Uh, The managing the stress, managing your time, managing your finances, uh, making sure that it's an overall wellness of the human being involved because when we get down to it, it's the most important aspect, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're really Mm -hmm. trying to get down to it. So, um, yeah, that's what, uh, that's, that's, I, I thought I would talk more about mental illness than I have. Um, you know, we talk about it plenty, but uh, what I found out is we all deal with mental health. It's something that we all have and we all, um, we all have to face at a certain level. And um, it's just, uh, understanding understand that it's, it, 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 is something we all have to pay attention to and trying to get tools out to people and conversations out to people that are going to help
0: us all. Right. Uh, no matter how we struggle or at what level. Awesome. And you know, those those are the conversations that are really hard to have. Um, previous episode, we just had a great conversation with Dallas Mount about mm-hmm. You know, people management, and we got F onto some, sex, onto some succession rabbit trails. Um, what do you, what do you have to say about that? I mean, I, I know you've had some good guests talk about succession and, and family dynamics.
2: Yeah. Um, Who, that's a tough one, right? And we've talked about it, and I don't know if there's any real great. Um, great answer or I shouldn't say great answer no easy answer to that Mm -hmm. um it's a those are hard conversations to have and um but you still gotta have them right no matter how yeah
1: but but why are they hard I guess is is like I wish we could normalize them not being hard
2: you know and so do I and you know I'm I'm kind of going through it on my own place now Mm -hmm. where there's five siblings involved Mm -hmm. and my dad's in his last year's And so it's something that I'm kind of dealing with real time. And so if I had any advice from my own experience and from people whom I've talked to, I've talked to Mary Jo Ehrman, um, I have plans to talk to Elaine uh, Elaine, uh, Fraze out of Canada. I know Clay had her on a few months ago. Um, If I had any advice from and what I've learned is put it all out there. Don't leave anything, you know, to the get to guesswork or to to be found out later. Um, everybody's in a much better place, no matter what it is. You know, I could tell you um, from a uh, from the standpoint of someone who who uh, stands to inherit some pretty significant stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what it is, what, how big or how little part of it, I would be feel so much comfortable just knowing yeah, um, and just yeah. having it all out there and having everybody on the same page and mm-hmm. having a mediator, uh, someone who is there, uh, a neutral third party who can kind of, like I said, mediate and be in the middle there and understand what's best for the entire operation. I couldn't stress that enough.
0: Family mediation is, you know, that can always be beneficial because when we're dealing with family, we're often dealing with, you know, some deep-seated emotional stuff. Oh, and
1: generational trauma.
0: And years of backstories and in-jokes and and things. And having that third-party mediator there really dampens down a lot of the emotional or can dampen a lot of the emotional reactions, the negative emotional reactions. And, you know, it, I just had the thought, you know, I, I say, I know two things about drought. We're either in one or we're getting ready to have one. <laughs> and succession planning's like that. Yeah. Like, we're either planning to take over something or we need to be planning on how we're going to secure this and pass it on to somebody that will care for it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So uh have you run across any good family mediation resources?
2: Um Elaine, like I said, she's probably one of the best. Um, Jolene Brown is another one. I've not had Jolene on the podcast yet. She's almost impossible to link up with. Yeah. Uh, just because of her the way her is. I mean she's is.
1: good then. Yep. She, exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly. But she there's just so much um there's just so much there and so much um, she has this saying, uh, "Gosh, I'll screw it up if, if I try to say it, but it's a it's a line from the Corblund song. Um, fair isn't always equal, and equal isn't always fair, right? Um, you know, and it just kind of comes is as harsh as it may seem. Um, sometimes you just people are just going to be pissed, and you just have to have to deal with it and. Mm-hmm. It, as much as that sucks, I mean, we would love to make everybody happy, right? But um, nothing's ever going to move forward by making everybody happy.
0: And it's important to you know, not have the – you don't have to have the full conversation and have everything worked out. But you need to continue having the conversation and letting letting yeah. the succession plan evolve.
1: I really appreciate that because that's something that I struggle with both sides of my family and my husband's family is, is can we just actually have a conversation and start the dialogue? Because I think they're too afraid of maybe there's some shame and guilt and they don't want to admit to what it looks like on both sides. But, uh... I think they also want to have everything figured out before we can even begin the discussion. It's like, I don't really need that either. I just, I just want you to be aware of what your, your goals are and what your wishes Mm -hmm. are. Yeah.
0: And something that that came up on a previous podcast, and I think it's kind of important to revisit is just because you have one, one child say one day, one time, dad, I'd be really upset if you ever sold the ranch. Yeah. Without ever having any other conversations, you know, you go and change your will, leave it all to that kid or, or whatever. And as it turns out, you really didn't capture and pass on what was important about the ranch, whether it was the land or the cattle or the lifestyle or, or just the scenery. You know, it's don't assume. Have the conversation and really ca- try to get down and capture the meaning of 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 what's wanted and what's desired. Yeah. Yeah, it's it that's that's incredibly
2: hard, like to, um, because especially the generations that came, like my parents. So we're dealing with four different generations. Wow. in uh, in one and so when I say. Tr- generations. I mean, my parents are from one generation. I have a set of, I have a brother and two sisters in a different generation, generation. They're yeah, baby brothers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My other brothers G- Gen X and I'm a early millennial, you know, so like our way of dealing the world with the world, seeing the world, Absolutely. All us, it is so different, so different. And, you know, me being the youngest, more, os- most open of all of them. I mean, the way that they, everybody else, is closed off, just drives me insane. And i i would love I would love for them to be able to see it from from that point of view. But I'm sure I'm probably a little too open for the rest of them. So, uh, when you're dealing with family dynamics, especially in a family as diverse in age, so my brother is 25 years older than me. my mm-hmm. My parents were. In there, my dad was almost fifty when I was born. So my dad's eighty-five now, and I'm thirty-seven. And uh, it's just, uh, it, it, it's so crazy how how time has shifted and things have changed in just like in just while we've had just this one generation. Um, just really, it's a really impressive uh, how how the world has changed in just that little bit of time.
0: I think it's crazy how much the world has changed just in the last five years. I mean, even the last 12 God. months dealing with COVID. It's, right. The speed of change just seems like it's getting faster and faster and faster every year. Mm-hmm. So let, let's shift a little bit. Let's uh, let's talk about your ranch. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about... Uh, well, where are you at? First off,
1: yeah. What's your yeah. context? Yeah, I
2: guess that's right. I'm in I'm in the northern Ozarks, so I'm in uh, in just outside of Cuba, Missouri. Um, I always try to st- we're a little bit more to the St. Louis side, but I always say it's about halfway between St. Louis and Springfield, Missouri. Okay. Yeah. On inter- Interstate 44, uh, if you know where Rale- uh, Fort Leonard Wood, anybody knows where Fort Leonard would, We're about an hour from Fort Leonard Wood. Um, I it's this is grass country. Mm -hmm. Um, not very far from us to the north is corn country, you know. So, um, but what people I think a lot of people think about Missouri, especially northern Missouri, it's all row crops. But yeah, here it's where we're growing. Beautiful.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I have it. a best friend who's kind of in that area. And I tell him every time we get close to visiting him, I say, whenever I hear the banjo music, we know we're there. <laughs> just <laughs> totally kidding. But just so have to say that <laughs> I'll, ha- I'll say this about how
2: beautiful my wife and I, over uh, in September of last year, we went out west uh, yeah. for a two two weeks, just her and I. And you know, some of the we went to Rocky Mountain National Park, Tetons, Yellowstone, did all mm-hmm. the things, right? And as pretty and as beautiful as it all was, the prettiest sight is when we turned off of Interstate seventy to come south and from about hour and a half from home and started seeing the trees and hills of home. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh,
2: it's the most beautiful place to me that you could, could raise a family, raise cattle. Uh, it's just, it's just amazing. So, mm-hmm. um, but as far as my ranch is concerned, we have about a hundred, my part of it is about 150 head. We live in the middle of about 700 acres. Um, we have another place that's just over a hundred acres. So, um, we are just starting with where we're, we're cow calf operation and we do a little bit of backgrounding of yearlings, um, really starting to get more involved in, um, more regenerative, more managed grazing, uh, especially over at my smaller place. And I made a I made an Instagram post about this, and I'm pretty sure I tagged you in it, Brian, Uh, the other day. I have two I have two places. I have this my home farm where things are probably a little more conventional. You know, I'm trying to get them more in line, but we still cut and bale our own hay. Um, You know, it's just. There's some places that are probably a little bit more continuous grazing than I'd like. And it causes me just a little, it just not a little bit, a lot more of a headache. But I go over to that place where I, that hundred acres, where I, that's where I keep my heifers. And Mm -hmm. this whole summer I did, or this whole winter I did strip grazing. Now I'm moving paddocks with them and, and just, and trying to do as many moves and try to get as creative with, I can, as I can with, with the grazing and the joy that that part of it brings me. Um, I'm going to be honest, it might keep it, it might keep me in the business, you know, like just as far as my own, like my own stress level goes down, my own mental health gets better when I'm over there. Uh, just because I just, just like it, it's so freeing and so like liberating to see animals just be animals and try mm-hmm. to try to them figure things out and get a little bit um, more like nature intended them to be. And I find that that when I reconnect over there uh, it's just so good for me. And I'm just so happy that I've made the decision to do that over there and hopefully hopefully, not hopefully, it will transfer over to this home place
0: where we can um, be a little bit more mindful of that here. Awesome. So what, uh, So tell me about some regenerative practices. You mentioned strip grazing and, day, and daily moves. And you know I, I got to tell you, I definitely agree with you about the mental health benefits of just being in close contact with grazing animals that are calm and, and just doing what they're meant to do. And you can't do it from the feed wagon (laughs)
2: because
0: you go out there in the feed truck. They're going to all come running to you because they want feed. They're going to quit what they're doing and they're going to be interested in you. You know, every time you go out to the pasture, you change their behavior. And if you go out there often enough, they're used to ignoring you at times. Right, right. And, you know, like, you know, when you're walking your fences for your heifers and running your reels. They know what you're out there doing, right? You know, when you're out there to do it, but when you're out there just to look at them, they ignore you, right? Sure. Yeah. No, it's
2: like, they just, they put their heads down. They look up at me for a minute and they put their heads back down and eat. And, um, you know, listening to them eat and move and it's just, you know, they're calm. I'm calm. Just, it's just such a
0: serene experience. I love listening to cows eat while I drink my coffee.
2: It's my favorite thing in the world. My favorite sound in the world is cows chomping grass. I just I love it.
0: You know, and it's probably one of those sounds that's almost like fingernails on a chalkboard. I guess some people probably don't mind that either.
1: Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, what what? How high have you been pushing stock density on your daily moves?
2: Um, so I haven't really been measuring that. I'm still new to it. Um, that's something that I, you know, I don't keep a whole lot of track of my weights, which I know it's something I should do. Um, right. I'm so new that I, um, I just want to get in the habit of moving them first, Yeah. then start with stock density. Um, because in, in, I would love to do everything perfect, but I some, some a mold I have to break out of is not trying to not waiting till things are perfect to just do them. And if I would sit there and I know I need to do this, and I know I need to calculate stock density, and I know it's important to the overall bottom line and the overall health and everything, I, I know that. But I the way I figure is if I started. Just by doing it, just by trying to get in the habit of mm-hmm. these moves, um, trying to just eyeball things at first, and then try to bring it back, um, I'm going to I'm going to set myself up for success a little bit better. So yeah, I don't actually know my stock density right now as far as pounds to the acre, but. Um, it's, uh, it's, well, let me know if
1: you want to use some pasture map for free. Well, yeah, CK I, uh, for real.
2: I mean, and that's, will help you. <laughs> we'll do
1: that's, it we'll automatically. So, Brian's sitting here staring at is, me.
2: <laughs> that's something that I think is, would be very valuable to me is to, um, it, it's not so, you know, in, in Missouri, it's not so easy to just go out and have square, you know, because we don't have the, oh, yeah, no. of square fields. You know what I mean? I mean, this, we've got creeks and hollers and everything else. And our, our fields look like, um, you know, sometimes look like tornadoes, sometimes look like snakes, you know, I mean, it's just so irregular out here um, that something like that would be super helpful for me. Um, Right now I'm, right now I'm, I'm relying on some uh, old barbed wire and and putting my poly off of that and using a um a a portable charger, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm in the in the process of putting in all hot wire around. Yeah, and doing that. And yeah, actually. I mean, it's a work
1: in time. progress, right? It, it sounds yeah. like it's already a positive impact, though. So that that's what keeps you going. So that's all it that is. matters.
2: Yeah, and it's a little bit better every year. You know, last year, last winter, I strip raised one field this past winter I strip grace too, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, every year getting a little bit better and, you know, and I think the big thing is, is realizing that it's more than about just me and my yeah. experience with it. I've got four boys that I'm raising doing this too and helping me out and figuring this stuff out with me. And it, it's about them too. You know, we want to go back to succession planning. Um, we we want we want to set we want to kind of change the legacy here a little bit right We want it to be more about the land We wanted that to be what's important to us and um, not saying I don't want to say anything against my dad or my brothers they did everything the best way they could the way that they thought it should be done um, probably a way that was profitable for them coming up but it's not gonna be profitable the way that way for me right and especially it isn't going to be for my kids when you know who knows what's going to happen in the next 20 30 years um so to do it and to 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 ranch and to ranch in a way that is enjoyable Mm -hmm. um and not as stress free i think that's super super big and it i that's the part that i'm trying to play here
1: I think especially because if it is stressful, you absorb that energy and you take it home with you. So 100%. Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, um, you know, daily moves, I think we can both agree, you know, you have time to do it. Everybody has right. time to do it. What else do you do? What's your? You have a day job, don't you, Jason? I have a
2: day job. I'm a pharmacist. Yeah. I work 40 <laughs> hours a week as a pharmacist, you know, so, I mean... Uh, that's really interesting to have that dynamic of having a town job with being, so I had, and I was thinking about that this week. I grew up with this, um, kind of idyllic idea of what agriculture was because I my well, first of all, my dad was older when I was a kid. I mean, my dad was 65 when I graduated high school, right? I mean, he was, my dad's the same age as most of my friends' grandpas um, or close to it anyway. He was friends with their grandpas always. And uh, I saw him and I saw him when he was in his 50s and I didn't see the struggles that he had to go through and the hard work and the, you know, crunching numbers that I'm having to go through. Um, and I thought, well, there, I guess maybe I almost felt entitled a little bit to a certain type of life involved in agriculture, but it took me just a few years, even out of college to know that, uh, it was totally different for me. So, um, working a town job, but also trying to manage a, a cow calf operation, um, it can look a little bit different. You know what I mean? Um, and trying to operate it well. So, I mean, you have to, you have to do the things that, um, you have to, you, you really start to prioritize what's mm-hmm. important to you when it comes to, uh, when it comes to, to the ranch, to the cattle operation. Uh, you know, we, there was a part of me at one time that wanted to be involved in registered cattle um but when you work a 40-hour week job you start to understand and then you have four kids who are involved in everything uh you start to realize that yeah that part of it wasn't that important to me it's and um coming back to everything that we've talked about um being more involved in the family side of it the family dynamic side the um, regenerating the land to trying to do a better job with that. Um, you, you really start to figure out what's really important and what's worth your time and your effort really fast. So, but to go back to my job, yeah, I'm a pharmacist and, um, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, kind of meld between my two lives as, as a rancher and as a pharmacist. Um, because, uh, I find myself almost contradicting myself at times, um, but, but, but the real thing is, is I've, I've come to a comfortable place where I understand how important medicine can be, um, and not just the treatment of mental health, but the treatment of all kinds of health. Right. Uh, it's, a, it's a great, great, uh, what, what happens is we get in trouble when we rely too much on it. Just like just like we do with, um, you know, inputs in a cattle operation, right. we rely too much on inputs in our own health as well, and we have these crutches. So, um, I was just thinking about this the other day. Uh, a guy, kind of j- joking with me, we he couldn't get his cholesterol medicine filled for whatever reason. I don't remember, and he said, "I guess I just won't eat McDonald's this week or something like that." And like, or you could just not eat mcdonald's that much at all and
1: <laughs> yeah Let's talk about you know, the real reason you were yeah, probably taking you know, this cholesterol. Medicine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so,
2: I mean, it's uh, it, it's an interesting, I, I find myself in an interesting place a lot of the time trying to optimize health of people, but also trying to utilize modern medicine. It's, a, it's yeah. an interesting place to be. It's, it's almost, like I say, almost contradictory at times. Like you um, feel like
1: you're enabling people?
2: <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit, but at the same same time, helping the you know I feel like I have an important role as someone who Absolutely. sees the overall, and I feel like I'm probably in the uh, not as many people have that view of it like I do.
0: Well, you're advocating for their health. You're not you're not necessarily trying to change their lifestyle or change their exactly. mind. You're just saying, you know, if you're trying to get better because you're taking this drug here's another alternative that might also help. Here's a lifestyle change that might help, right? Yeah, exactly. A hundred
2: percent. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm there, like you say, it's a good way to put it. And I don't know if I've ever really thought of it that way, but being an advocate for their health, always mm-hmm. trying to, you know, there are options. You know yeah. what I mean?
0: I mean, or you could look at it as a pharmacist. You're just a legal drug dealer. Exactly, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, let, Let's talk about your cows for a little bit.
2: What kind of cows do you have? So um, I, you know, we grew up with Charlet cows, uh, Charlay cross cows. That's all my dad had. That's all we ever had. And <laughs> it wasn't working it wasn't a, a day of working cows unless somebody got hurt with Charlet cows. I mean it was it was a constant I remember having to reinforce fence with truck with trucks backed up to the fence.
1: Really? Do do it, have different dispositions than
2: these ones did they, okay. <laughs> the ones I grew up with did they yeah. were our cat. So just needless to say, my dad did not select for disposition. Okay. Right?
0: Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's kind of obvious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was
2: honestly, well, so I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but my dad owned the sale barn for 30 years too. So, I mean, that was, he, I'm sure he took whatever was going to make money. Right. And Sometimes what made money absolutely uh, wasn't
1: always the, the ones genius. that no one else wanted, exactly. right? Exactly.
0: There's always um, a reason she's at the sale barn.
2: That's exactly right. So I
1: found myself having
2: to shift my genetics. Um I use pretty much exclusively, I use stabilizer bulls out of Colorado, Leechman mm-hmm. bulls. Um A friend of mine, and when I was trying to go through this transition of moving away from cell barn cattle and, and keeping my own, um, I have a friend, a mentor just down the road from me who had been using leachman cattle for since the, I think he said 97 and just, just impeccable herd, such good health, such good, um, calving ease, uh, You know they weren't they didn't always wean the heaviest but never had to pull a calf so i mean what was that and that's i think that's a big part of what i um what i maybe differ from people in the fact that i probably put a lot more value on my time inputs than maybe your typical rancher especially around here um you know my calves may weigh about 25 to 50 pounds less at weaning or at sell sale date. Um, But I'm going to guarantee you, they had to pull a lot more calves than I did. And they had a lot of more calves that don't didn't stand and suck in the time that, that mine were up and running. Um, So, and, and also another thing is I, I I calved my cows in springtime on the grass not when there's snow on the ground. If I can help it, you know. Sometimes right. we get those late April snows like this year. Like, what the heck? <laughs> um, this is Missouri, not like Alberta. Everyone, yep. <laughs> but uh, um, so yeah, I mean, genetics-wise, we use an we use an Angus cross, um, but you know, always always a good try to have a good mix of English and continental cattle.
0: But that's um, back to a Charlet cow, right?
2: Probably, yeah, more a Charlet cross cow. Yeah. I'll tell you what, my favorite cows have been some Pinsgauer. Uh, I have this line of Pinsgauer uh, cross cattle. Um, I've got, I, I can't remember. We have, a, I don't know, three or four generations of them on the farm right now. See, we're east of the 100th parallel. So I call what what you guys would call a ranch, I call a farm. So. Um, it's, uh, I think that's the, the the dividing line there.
1: I always Uh, have to remind myself.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like, cause I, I mean, we typically, we really are a ranch. Um, but when you're, I think anywhere East of Kansas, you call them, you call them farm, but you use the term interchangeably.
0: Um, and and see, I, you know, my culture is slightly different. Farm is, you know, when I hear farm, that's crop tillage, that's tillage that's growing annuals. I want to hear ranch that's primarily a livestock operation. In my mind.
2: And I, and, and, I mean in the traditional sense of, of the words, that's what it is, right? Um, or at least in the modern a modern sense, I guess I should say. Um, but we've always just used because there are no real farms around here, you know there are, there's not much conventional tillage in my area. So you would even call me a cattle farmer sometimes, uh, or not sometimes I think a lot of the times. so I think the, the word is just kind of used interchangeably because um, when I think of ranching, I think of I think of more like a, a desert type atmosphere, more mountain type atmosphere, things done on horseback. Um, that's what I usually think of so. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, inter- that is interesting what the difference in what part of the country you're standing in.
0: And, and kind of as a strange switch, you get out in the far west, you know, especially in California, everything's a ranch.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Like if yeah. you have, ranchettes. if you have two acres outside <laughs> of city limits, you've got a yep. ranch. <laughs>
1: yeah. They sell, that's, that's how
0: funny. they sell them. They sell them as ranchettes. Yeah. Like, there was a, uh, the one that comes to mind is uh, several years ago we bought some strawberries, and it said Christopher Ranch, California. And I'm like, ranches don't grow strawberries. Ranches grow cows. <laughs> Farms grow strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> but every everything out there's a ranch. I mean, from the strawberry farm to to Harris Ranch, which is what like a hundred thousand head feedlot. Mm-hmm. So you know, there there is a little bit of difference in language between you know the folks in Maine and the folks in California.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I find that really interesting how we can be in all essentially can be in the same industry and have such different language and not just different language, but different like cultures. cultures. Right. Yeah. I mean, for real. I mean, even here, like here versus um, somewhere like I'd say probably Missouri is just one of those weird states where it's very diverse um, as far as as the ground. Um, but like our culture around farming and ranching is completely different than it would be in say like Georgia or mm-hmm. somewhere where the, the landscape and the things we have to deal with are very similar, um, but just the culture around it is so much different.
1: Yeah. I remember meeting a cowboy from Alberta and he told me that that's the Texas of Canada is Alberta. And then he was telling me how he can always tell if it's an American cowboy versus, like, a Canadian cowboy because we wear those wild racks, and they don't. Mm, mm. And they're like, it doesn't even get cold enough where you guys are from. And I don't know why you need the wild racks. I remember him making fun of that. I was like, whatever. I'm just cold.
0: Just cold. Yeah. I'm just cold-blooded. cold-blooded.
1: Yeah, but it's just funny. There's culture everywhere, and it's just interesting when you see people who, who've learned something different, and it's and sure. it's okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: I oh, hat culture is kind of funny too. You know, like it's almost getting to the point where you can kind of look at the overall shape of somebody's hat and tell, well, they're from maybe the northern plains, or they might be from Canada, or you know, those that's the Southwest influence, or you know, that's more of a Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas thing.
1: So funny. I did that the other day, Brian. It's <laughs> like, is
0: he from Texas? <laughs> yeah, when you see one, you know, you see something out of the normal, you got to kind of go, huh, whatever where that guy's been. Where he got that hat. <laughs> so, what are, um, have you had any wrecks lately? Oh,
2: yeah. Um, I'm. The- dealing with pink eye this year worse than i have ever had it um not ever shouldn't say ever my first year of ever having cattle was the worst year i ever had pink eye
1: with both um, herds
2: no <laughs> no at my home farm um i have a lot more you mm-hmm. know, um we we do and i think it's i don't know if it's the weather um I don't know, you know, because my management hasn't really changed at home. Um, maybe we have, we, I think we probably might have a little, I had a, a little more fescue stem this year. And, you know, that fescue coming off in their eye, eye can be a real bad uh, irritant and cause cause right. pink eye. Um, but, you know, I, now that you say that, those heifers at over at my other place, that we don't, I think maybe I've had one with a runny eye, but it never got to full blown pink eye. And I don't know, it's something to be said, right? For the management technique.
0: So your theory is you're, you're having less pink eye trouble on your heifers because of the intensive moves and in strip grazing program? Yes,
2: yeah, I, I feel like that. Yeah, I feel like that. I feel like the flies aren't as bad um, because they're not staying where they crap as often. Um, I just feel like uh, I just feel like overall health is better. You know, they're. Uh, I feel, feel like their hair coats are better. You know, I just I, I just think there's so many. Th- I can just see just in this little sample size, I can see so many more benefits over there, cattle and land both. Um,
0: just such a such a difference. Now, uh, are they on the same supplement package?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a, we have a custom mix for breeding. Um, I have a custom mineral, uh, that I get out of a place. Um, we use garlic a lot. Do you use garlic?
1: I love garlic.
0: Yeah. It's it's amazing. (laughs) Even for me, (laughs) I even put it on my food.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So
2: yeah, it's, uh, they're on a very similar mineral package. Um, you know, but, you know those heifers over there they don't get a whole lot of that's about all they get um i try to give them i give them i give everybody a fighting chance but nobody gets any free rides
0: not giving them anything special just treating them Mm -mm. just like the cows you wish they were exactly that's exactly right yep you know we don't give you know there
2: there was a time when i started raising my own heifers i um I started – I would grain them for 90 days, you know, to try and get them to that size, right? But then I realized, like, that size is just a number. Um, you know, they can – I want a cow that can calve at a 1,000 pounds and still do it um, easily if she can, Um you know there's no reason to get a cow have to get a cow a heifer to 800 pounds before calving um if if i don't want her to be a 13 1400 pound cow right so my my mindset around i'll tell you what my my mindset around cattle and around land management really changed um brian i talked to you about this the time i met burke tyker um <laughs> funny story about burke i He was, you know, he still, I don't know if he still does or not, but he had the back page of beef magazine and he always puts his email in there and something just struck me about what he, I can't remember what even the article was. I said, I would love to just talk to you sometime. You know, I'd love to just have a phone call with you sometimes just to try to soak up just a thumbs, thumbnail worth of knowledge that you have. And funny enough he was gonna he was partners with some people on our on a ranch in missouri about a little less than two hours south of me he says i'm actually coming there this weekend he says why don't you come and see the operation and
1: no oh, very I, cool
2: yeah and you know they were calving at the time it was they had a fall calving herd they she introduced me to the sandhills calving uh, right system, system yeah and uh wow. I just, I think that was really that where the time changed for me and then got really intentional about really paying attention to Burke's, um, Burke's methodology. And, you know, he talks about cow and heifer development so much and uh, giving them, like you say, trying, like Brian said, trying to mold them and treat them like the cows you want them and desire them to be. And Man, that's been, that's really affected my bottom line since then. Not just bottom line, but um, time spent with them. Uh, You know, a cow has any sort of problems calving, she's gone. Um, Nobody, no cow raises a good enough calf to be worth her problems. Um, That's never, you know, so I mean, and that's been about four years now. And it's just been, I mean, I think you could, I think the person you could probably talk to that would that would illustrate how much the change has been has been would be my wife would be Carrie uh, because she can see how much it's changed for me right how much my Absolutely. life has gotten mm-hmm. better and how much our lives have gotten better because of it um, just simply and it was all just it was it was all little simple things it was just taking grain away letting them be on grass moving them daily you know trying to. to take away the, the monetary inputs and maybe, uh, um, still having, you know, daily moves is that's, that's an input. Don't get me wrong. Your time's worth something, but enjoying your time that you spend with them and, you know, enjoying that day, those daily moves, uh, man, it's just, it's been, it's been night and
0: day. And you, when you bring in those cattle that you've been moving daily, especially if you're doing it on foot, when you bring them into the corrals and you have to work with them, they're so much calmer and easier to work with than if you just left them out in the pasture for the last six months and you're going to go discover them and round them up with 15 <laughs> cowboys and 12 dogs.
2: Yeah. You
0: know, it's it's being used to that human contact. It, it really gentles them down and you'd be amazed at what, you know, one or two people can get done with a couple hundred head and a set of pens. When they've been worked with and calmed down and gentled for six months
2: you know my sons and i i ha- i don't have any help really it's my sons and i uh my oldest is 16 and then we have another a 10 year old and we just out we went out and before we were on here today we took advantage of this cool july day and worked some cows here at home and um, even the ones here they still see me on foot you know, they still, they don't, we don't do, do the daily moves here like we do over at the other place, but they still see me on foot plenty. And, uh, the, it's amazing when you put some intentionality behind it and just use a little bit of stockmanship. Um, cause I remember my dad would hire people and that was probably more than the cattle. It was the people. Um, I just remember not to dog on how I grew up or anything or how, but I mean, I think we all have stories like this mm-hmm. and, uh, it, I just remember like. Everybody be so damn loud and making so much damn noise and just screaming and yelling and hitting and sorting sticks and whips. And, like, uh I mean, I just remember it's like, I remember even being a, a child and, like, man, that's not, that can't be great, right? That can't be great for them. They don't want to, I mean, when somebody hits and whips me, what do I want to do? I want to lay down. I don't want to do what they want me to do. Um, so, I mean, when you get, and when we put the and sticks away, when we put the whips away, when we just started being more intentional with how we treat the animals, um, wow, I mean, it made a big difference. And, I mean, we worked, I mean, it wasn't a ton of cattle. We, I think we had a set of like 30 cows and 20 calves that we worked this, after, this morning. And it took us an hour, you know, and it probably could have taken us less, time but we enjoyed the time together you know fathers and son, father and sons and uh it's just um when you when you treat the cattle just just a, a, a you know i don't want to say nicer but just when you when you're calmer around them it makes intentional the in the world. intentional yeah
0: yeah intentional
2: exactly you
0: know, being intentional when you go to the pasture when you step into the pen of why you're there it is.
1: And I, yeah. And I just want to say it's harder to do that than the other way. Like to to not lose your shit.
0: Yeah.
2: Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd love to lose my shit all the time, right? I mean, <laughs> it, it would be way easier for me to just blow up.
1: Mm-hmm. But,
2: you know, and that's another thing. I, I mean, I, I tell stories here, but because they're relatable. Um, so, our spree, um, we always work calves. Uh, we work our we work our fall calves and then sell we wean our our spring calves around Thanksgiving every year and my my son's my oldest son at the time he was the only one who was having a, having a show steer at the time. He said, "You know, mom, I really get excited when it's time to work cows because it's time for my steer he said, but dad's so mean." Like, and I, and like that was probably about the same time ago, like probably about four years ago. And I was, I was just kind of a dick to everybody. And, um, when, when he, but when he said that, I mean, he was probably 12 at the, I guess he would have been probably 12 at the time. It made me think like, I'm doing it wrong. You know, yeah. And I think everybody can relate to that getting yelled and screamed at by their dads while they're. Oh, working my husband! House.
1: Like working yeah. cows with my husband It's like we just we know not to get in each other's zones when we're working yeah, cows. Yeah,
2: exactly. So like, yeah. You know, try it goes back to that more intentionality, and you know, mm-hmm. I said, you know, from that point on, I said, you know, I'll. I mean, I, I believe me. I've had my blowups. We all do because we're right. perfect, and cattle will make you do things that you would wish you rather (laughs) would not have. But, uh, you know, it goes back to that word, Brian. I like you said that intentionality, um, just being more intentional with how you are around cattle and people.
0: Yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I still get to the point where I'm frustrated Mm -hmm. with cattle and I found the best thing to do. They're frustrated, not doing what you want them to do is leave. Mm -hmm. Yep. Go do something else. Calm down, clear your mind, Let your cattle calm down and then go and then go approach them with intention, with calm intention and the mindset that you're a herd mate.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, that, that you're a herd mate, that you're there with them and not Mm -hmm. trying to make them do something, you know, not, not using force. Yeah, Yep. exactly. So where, so you just kind of came about, you know, Low stress stockmanship by observing the older generation and going, eh, that's not so great. And then hearing your kids say, "Dad, you're kind of a jerk to cows." Do I have? Did I capture that?
2: Pretty much, yeah. That's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty spot on. And I'll say, you know, my brother, um, one of the quietest cattle handlers I've ever seen. It was never him. It was the people, but it would be the people that would come. Um, and, uh, I'll, you know, it just, it just really left a bad taste in my mouth and helped me understand. And then, and then, like you say, when the, when your son says something to you, like, like, that's like, stops you in your tracks. Like, Oh yeah, you've got, you've got to change then.
0: Yeah. You know, big question by your child as to why you did something, <laughs> you know, yeah. we could, we could. You know, we can laugh about it, but I mean, sometimes it's, you do something without thinking about it, and your kid's like, why'd you do that? And you're like, oh,
1: yeah, crap, why did I do you that? Humility, right? Yep.
0: Exactly. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so, how's your hay season going this year?
2: Oh, man, you had to do it, <laughs> it, didn't you?
0: You had to do
2: it. It's been the worst hay season of my entire life.
1: My I think school. a lot of people are having that same... Is that right? Like, we have someone in Houston, he's like, we are, like, three cuttings behind because we're just swimming in water.
2: Oh, yeah. It's just, you know, Missouri, and I'm sure probably a lot of places say this, we're never, it's it's like you said earlier, Brian, we're never two weeks away, more than two weeks away from a drought. And uh, that was never so evident this summer. Uh, uh, we, it rained all spring long and was cool. And then all of a sudden it wasn't right <laughs> you know and it just stopped and we had you know 90 degrees with ze- uh, you know low humidity and winds and it was perfect K wake making weather um, but I my I can't remember what ha- what happened this the first time but something we got some our auger bent on our baler. and it's just been a fight ever since then something else either electric or or mechanical is I broke two different times this summer broke belts you know and they don't ever break it like convenient times right that's the thing about putting up hay is if something breaks like what do you do you know I've been very fortunate to have some neighbors come and help me out oh nice hey yeah yeah I'd be I'd be sunk if it wasn't for I'd be sunk if it wasn't for neighbors and for my oldest son taking care of everything while I'm um not able to, you know, at work and other obligations, um, but it's gotten me. And I was talking with my friend August Horseman. Um, he he lives just down the road from me, and you know, I I kind of shared some str- the struggles I was having with him, and uh, it, it goes to show that how important just not even harvesting the feed can be, and trying to let the cow do the harvesting herself. Um, you know, there's no baler breaking down if the cow has to eat the grass herself, um, you know, at a, at a certain point in time, um, just trying to limit the number of times a machine came into contact with that forage is, and I, I again, I've got a long ways to go to, to where, but I'm really starting to see the value of um, less conventional tactics.
0: It's a journey. Mm -hmm. Ellen Ellen Moeller said it best. Soil health is a journey. You start where you are.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So what to uh, the little story you just related kind of makes me uh, wonder, how can we build better relationships with our neighbors? How can we build a better spirit of cooperation with our neighbors? So
2: I had Sam Goldberg on – Sam Goldberg is the producer of Silo, the film, um, the the film about the grain entrapment. And Sam is an incredible guy.
1: Is
2: um, mm-hmm. just to to think that someone like me can can connect with someone like Sam, a guy who grew up his entire life in Manhattan, New York City, uh, is is it gives me hope to be honest, right. And, and he was, it gives me hope for the future, you know, with all this crap that we've had going down. Um, and he was talking about the important, you know, I think at, at one certain time in the future, any one person knew 95% of the people that lived within one mile of them. Now it's down to like, 18% of the people that live within one mile of them. So I think in the the, the big thing about improving relations with our neighbors is getting to know our neighbors, um, you That's know, having, with, yeah, yeah. having a relationship at all. And I'm fortunate in that I live in a place where I have lived pretty much my entire life where I live right now is um, I live just uh, less than two miles as the crow flies away from my, childhood home for where my parents live now. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually the third one in my family to live in this house that I live in right right now. So I have an advantage of already having relationships with a lot of neighbors because they're in similar situations and, you know, kids go to school together and whatnot. Um, But there are people that I know I could do better. You know, I know I could do better at, at getting to know people. Um, I I realized this driving past this place that I drive past often. I don't even know who these people are and they have cattle, you know, um, they could be some, we, we could have a really good relationship, but I haven't even tried. And, um, I think that's a big part of it, Brian, to answer your question is, you know, how do we forge better relationships? We try, you know, we try with people and, you know, I know it's hard, People are busy. Uh, I'm, we're all busy, I mean, um, but are we too busy to get to know our neighbors just a little bit better and try to forge relationships that are going to be a mutual benefit uh, for who knows how many years? I don't think you can ever be that, you should ever
0: be that busy. I'm not being busy. Oh, wait. We had a conversation here at the house last night about uh, you know it's part of our culture here in the Midwest is you know, if you're not working sun up to sundown, you're just a lazy pile of crap.
1: I d I don't think that's just a Midwest thing because I you know, being from California and my family, husband family in Idaho, it's a it's a cowboy culture. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's an agriculture culture too. Uh you it drives me like, nuts. <laughs>
0: Where's the pride in working 80-hour weeks? You know, 30-40 weeks a year. You know, that that Yeah, you work hard. Cool. Like where's your what's your quality of life like? You know, right. do you when do you it, spend time because, with your family? Yeah,
1: yeah. When do you spend time t- on you? Yeah. If there's a they tie shame, right? Shame is tied to anyone who doesn't work that many hours. Like if they're comparing, I feel like then that person's a lazy pos is what kind of i purpose yep. There's a stigma where it's like, yep. oh, he only works 40 hours. Like, what does he do in the other 20 hours? You know. And I I fall victim to
2: that so much. Um, we there's a oh crap, I'm I'm gonna butcher it because there's a quote by Brene Brown. That yeah. Says, like it takes courage to to rest and to play uh in, in a society or in our case, an industry that sees that sees exhaustion or as a wears it as a badge of honor. Right. Um, so, I mean, when the status quo is to be exhausted and to work your ass off, and doing do me wrong, I, hard work. Absolutely. But be again, Brian, I keep going back to that word intentionality. You know, what is what is most important to you? What's how can you be most intentional um, and do the work that really matters at this? And also take time for your family, take time for yourself, take time yeah. for forging relationships. Um, you know there needs to be a, some compromise there. You know there's no, there's no there's no reward for being the most tired, being the most exhausted. Um, all Other you than get you get mental
1: pain. illness, burnout. <laughs> Everything and, else and, that comes know, with it, Physical
2: that. illness, too. Yeah. Know? I mean, all kinds of things. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I always have these personal little anecdotes here, but um, I have a brother who is a civil engineer, and um, I love him. He's probably one of my best friends. And the guy, bless his heart, he works 80 hours a week, owns a civil engineering firm, you know, works his tail off. And uh, you know, he's got a nice life. Uh he's got a nice, you know, he's got a big piece of land. They're in the raining horses. Uh they they do raining, they do all kinds of high dollar horses. Um he had a heart attack when he was not even forty. You know, so I mean
0: That's younger than I am. Don't say things exactly.
2: like that. I could think he was about the age when he had it, he was about the age I am now. And um, I don't want that for my kids. I don't want that for my wife. I don't want that for myself. Um, so uh, it, taking the time to understand what's really important to you, um, you think you're just gonna have, like you say, quality of life. Using that yeah. as, as you know, using that on your um, on your bottom line too. And you know, you have to start seeing yourself. Anyway, I tell, talk to this about, I, I can't take credit for this. A friend of mine, Adrian DeSutter, talked to me about this. Um, seeing yourself as an asset, you know, we put a value on a herd of cattle. We put a value on a piece of land. We put value on a piece of equipment. But do we really put value, you know, on ourselves? Do we do we view ourselves as assets? Um most of the time, probably not. Uh, oh,
0: sometimes I feel like I'm more of a liability. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, changing your mindset around that is, uh, you know, trying to make sure you're in the best shape so everything can go well is important too.
0: You know, and you know, keep a positive mindset because I think, you know, just recently I, uh, I was already out of bed and like doing my things to get out the door to go to work, and I got a call that I have cows on a highway. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't ruin my day. I ended up having a really great day. But you know, you can't let one thing ruin your day, right? And you gotta you gotta be able to roll with the punches and keep going. Right. Right. And the intentionality it, it circles back to the intentionality. You know, why are we here? You know, we're here to grow food.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, we're here to take care of these animals. We're here to take care of this land. We're here to take care of this soil. That's why we're here. And you just got to keep those things in mind.
2: Yeah, 100%. Yep. Yep. You just like strip all the other crap away from it and get down to the real why. And if you figure out the why, then you're going to figure out your how pretty quick.
0: So what are some tips to help figure out your why? I, so I have a set of core
2: values, um, around pretty much everything that I do, uh, around, you know, my wife and I have our own core values. We have our core values as a family. Um, I have my core values as a person and around our farm and, When you hold these core values so close to you and you make your decisions based on those core values, then it makes your life really simple. Um, You know, we, uh, in our mission statement, we talk about putting only the inputs that are necessary for us to maintain a profitable, sustainable, and enjoyable operation. Um, when you have, when you have something like that, a, a Northern, a North star, if you will, to Uh try and work towards, um, then it figures, you figure out your why. So it just, it takes a little bit of brainstorming, a little bit of work. Um, but, uh, then it makes after, after that, it makes it really simple um, you know, my wife and I, for our our relationship, we uh, we talk about how we want to spend time together. We want to sp- take time for our kids, but also for ourselves, and we also want to take time to travel. Um, so all of our decisions, whether they be uh, financial or time commitments, if that if it doesn't add up to that, if it doesn't fit in line with those core values, then it goes out the door. So I mean. Doing a little bit of work uh, saves. Do a little bit of work on the front end saves you a lot of work on the back
0: end. Mm-hmm. I, you know, one of the things they talk about in holistic management is developing a holistic context, mm-hmm. and then you know they, they give you the tools to start learning how to filter decisions through that holistic context to basically come down to: should I do this or should I not do this? You know, Mm -hmm. is, is, does this fit, does this decision fit in line with my holistic context? And that's very similar to what you're talking about with core values and very similar to, um, you know, having, having a mission and vision statement, not just for your business, but for your, your relationships Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and your personal life. You know, Mm -hmm. why am I here? What is my mission in life? And what, what is my chosen mission in life and what, what principles am I going to use to guide my life and to guide my business? So, any uh, any tips on how to how to start developing that? Any places to look?
2: Oh gosh, there are, but I can't say them off the top of my head right now. I'm um, gonna be I'm gonna be really honest with you here. Yeah, uh, my wife is like the big part she's the big player right in a lot of these changes in my life so um men get you a good wife <laughs> make sure yeah <laughs> That's i, like, I, I like,
1: think something you've shared jason is uh on your podcast you talked about enogram types
2: yes yes thank you and yeah. so
1: can you tell this for people who have never heard that what that is and why that so might be helpful.
2: Enneagram is something that is, uh, that's really near and I'm nowhere, I'm not an expert. Um, but it's kind of how you view the world and how it's your
1: you, almost like your North star metric, right? Exactly. Or your yes. core values, your core values. Yeah.
2: And I am what they, you know, there's nine types of Enneagram. Yeah. Um, my type then they're, they're typed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. Now I'm an, I'm a type three.
1: Okay. And what what that that's means. The achiever. The right? achiever. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And I have the list. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So, uh, I was, I wanted to ask this because we're talking about people management. I think that's like so crucial and like just is. understanding who you are and how you fit in other people's roles.
2: So we, and this has been the most valuable this has been, has been in my marriage. And uh, too (laughs) really, okay, (laughs) awesome. So, Carrie is a six, and
1: the loyalist, okay,
2: we would fight a lot. Um, we couldn't figure out why, and when we figured out the Enneagram. two years ago. You're going to hear me say, Oh, three or four years ago, two or three years ago. That's when a lot of the, it sounds sh-
1: like you that's, had your, yeah. That's when I had my, yeah. That's
2: when I had mm-hmm. my awakenings, right? All over the place. And, uh, we couldn't figure it out. And she figured, we figured we just took the Enneagram and she found out that her basic need was security.
1: Mm-hmm. My,
2: nine need was to be recognized mm-hmm. and, Me being recognized took, would sometimes take a lot of her security away. So, my, uh, you know, and with that being recognized, my desire for freedom and being, you know, putting myself out there, and maybe the times, you know, that was maybe a little uncomfortable for her. And then her desire for security was a little, um, closed off for me. Right. And when we started figuring out that way, how we interacted with one another, I mean, our marriage just, I mean, flourished after that. Um, you know, I, I, would have to say it's one of the, one of the most important parts of our marriage is figuring out our Enneagram types and how we viewed the world and how it, um, viewed our, our, how it shaped our interactions with one another.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, I mean, you can see how that, when it goes to take it back to a more people management standpoint, right? You could see it. I mean, it seems silly, right? I mean, I'll be first to admit I was very skeptical of it. Like, what could this mean? You know, is this something you take on BuzzFeed or something? Yeah, you know? like
1: one of those weird like surveys what, that
2: what Disney character? They're just is trying you? to
1: sell me something. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> but it's it's not that. Yeah, it's not that. And um, it has a very faith-based, if you go into it, it has a very faith-based um, history behind it. And, uh, you know, so for people who kind of view it as almost kind of, because it does, it almost seems like it has like pagan type symbolism. Like culty. You
1: know? Yep. Yep. <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah, it does. <laughs> and I, I mean, believe me, I thought all the thoughts about it, um, but it is such a valuable tool. And, you know, when you have people who are working together in a team and, you don't understand their basic needs. Right. Um, you know, you can get all on those different pages really fast. And if you could, if you get a whole team uh, building experience around the Enneagram, um, I think it would make for a really sick, it, 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 it could, it obviously wouldn't hurt anything and definitely uh, would set up
1: for success. Mm-hmm. Brian, you'll have to take the test and tell us what you are.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll have to check that out. Make Send me a link so I can put it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
2: Yeah, it's really important. And um, I don't know if she has started it yet or not, but Taryn Dreeling, um, she was – her and I had a podcast on that. And she is like a – she's super into the Enneagram. And she was talking about uh, – there was at one point she was going to start a podcast – revolving around the enneagram and how it can help people in agriculture um i don't think she's done that yet but it's uh i know it's something that she is going to work on on sometime
0: keep us updated on that i will yeah because i think it's a really i think it could be a really valuable tool for people so i'd like to know what's the best advice that you wish you had on your first day ranching Oh
2: man. But so best advice, man, that's uh, my first day ranching. That's a really good question, Brian. Um, I think it's do it your own way. There's, there's going to, there's going to be so much, there's so much noise, right? There's always somebody trying to sell you something, Right. Absolutely. Um, So many, so many people trying to sell you stuff. And you get really, if you spend your money on enough stuff, you realize that you probably could have done without it pretty, you know, and done okay. Um, Unfortunately, I've probably spent, I'm spent more money than I'd like to admit on things that didn't work um, when I should have just been focusing on more management type techniques and figuring out what's most important to me and not what's most important to someone who's trying to sell me something. Right. Um you know not say not trying to see what's most important to the industry standards um if you will um ranch in a way that works for you. Um if you hear some good advice, take it. Um if you hear some advice that, that sounds like it could be good, or you know, it sounds like it might work, try it out um, on a small scale and try to build it from there. I think, and I think that's a big another big thing is it goes back to me seeing my dad, and he did at one time we had a thousand head, um, which is a lot of cattle for this part of the country. Um, I, that that kind of almost. Uh, gave me a distorted reality a little bit um of what I, th- I cuz I wanted to be big. I thought the only way to be involved in it is to be big um but that's not the case you guys know that it takes takes ranches farms of all sizes to be to be involved and you know not worry about your size not worry about your numbers but worry about
0: how you're contributing that's I like it. That's fantastic. That's really good. So, thank you. What's uh what's the biggest challenge you're facing right now?
2: Biggest challenge I'm facing right now. Um I'm my biggest challenge is make is planning. Um planning grazing, uh planning marketing um you know because we I do. I do have a 40 hour a week town job and that takes a lot of my time and effort and it Mm -hmm. should because that's how, that's my primary source of income. Um, so it should take my time. Um, but also trying to, to plan a successful ranch around that. Um, again, the theme for this podcast is intentionality. Uh, Brian really hit it on the head early on there and being really intentional with how I plan and how I, uh, You know, not just planning moves and marketing, but how I plan days when we work cows and trying to be really intentional with markets and weather and all this stuff. Because, um, you know, I'd like to wean some calves right now, but I also don't know that it's not going to be good for anybody involved to wean them in July heat in Missouri. Um, So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, trying to line things up and being having a plan, um, a plan that. To me, I feel like a plan, even if you don't stick to it, just having a plan is better than no plan at all. Yep. Um, having to vary from a plan. Um, sometimes the plan, what actually happens doesn't look like the plan at all. But if it, it can be so meaningful to have a plan. Um, and I'm finding that out. When I don't have a plan, uh, it's not near as enjoyable and it's not near as profitable for me
0: either. Oh, writing a plan down forces you to sit down and think about it and think through steps.
2: Yes, exactly.
0: Yes. And if you've already thought through it and thought about some of the ways that things could go wrong and Mm -hmm. thought about how to head those off at the pass, Mm -hmm. you know, the plan you make the night before. You're right. It uh, let's see. In the military, they say, no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy. Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. in the mouth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, but having a plan is important so you at least have a roadmap.
2: Right. Yeah. And like I said, the end result can look nothing like the plan. But the fact that you have a plan and the fact that you're thinking ahead, um, it gets the gears turning. And that's what's really important about a plan.
0: So we're we're kind of winding down here. We've already talked about mention your Instagram, which is Ag State of Mind. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes along with uh, you know a link to your podcast, and we'll put uh, the Vets and Ag podcast in yes, there. And geez. of course, since we talk about it, and I haven't done it in a while, we'll put a link to that that other that working cows guy that Who's got that us guy. I yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Some same, amateur. Yeah, that same guy that got us both started. Yeah, what? A, Lots what a of gratitude. Shirt, right? Play. <laughs> He's setting a good bar. I mean, 200 yeah. episodes. He's only missed what two or three weekly releases.
2: He's pretty dang good, man. I'll tell you that takes a lot of talk about a plan, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of the plan, I got uh, I got a plan. Some time to re- edit an episode to release soon. <laughs> I'm a little behind on that. <laughs> so before we before we start to head out of here, is Anything on your mind you'd like to know from me?
2: Well, I want to know how you get that beard. Like, like, how does that even work? Like, is, do you like do you condition it? Do you uh, do you put like beard grower? Do you um, like did you have like special genetic editing when you were a child? Well, well
0: you just. First step is, Jason, you have to stop shaving. You have to put away your <laughs> razor. I knew I
2: was doing something
1: wrong.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, I I, I I never have done anything special. Uh, you know, I, I do put a conditioner. You know, I wash it with shampoo and conditioner and then get out of the shower, put cream in it, and brush it. And it just kind of grows in all natural and beautiful like this. I guess it's I got beautiful.
2: blessed. You did get blessed. <laughs> I've tried, and I just it just, like, goes straight.
0: Like, it, I don't know. This is all the works. longer it gets. Like is this, that all the longer it gets? Yeah, this is it. It just doesn't. Yeah. It just my doesn't wife, go past wife My her. wife
2: likes a clean-shaven face, so. Same. You do?
1: Yeah, Joel had a mustache for COVID, you know, and he had a mullet, and I was like, one's got to go. We can't have both.
2: <laughs> my son has a mullet now. I mean, They're super trendy.
1: Beautiful. They are yeah, trendy. Yeah. People are actually, like, professionally perming them, and I'm like, this is yep. getting that eye
2: Yep, so my son my oldest is in high school and all of his
1: buddies have it's have a one hundred percent that looks like kids in the nineties out of high exactly. school. Exactly. Like,
0: yeah. Were they even cool yep. in the nineties?
1: Weren't they? I don't know.
0: I don't know. I I probably had one at some point and thought it was cool.
2: I never had one, I don't think. And find I the picture, I Brian. Could've.
1: Yeah.
2: Now I can't grow hair, so
0: I know how that feels, Jason. <laughs> I, well I can't. It just migrates. Right. Yeah, Eventually, exactly. it just yeah. migrates. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, it's been a lot of fun. Jason, we really appreciate your time today, and uh, I hope hay season gets goes a little bit better for you.
2: Yep. Now, now's the easy part. Hauling it in, it's in the field. So uh,
0: the yeah. now that I can put the bailer away, I yeah, everything will be fine. Oh, CK, my dear, did we forget anything?
1: no I've, this has been a great episode so i appreciate your time jason yeah thanks guys for having me i love what
2: you're doing you know the world needs more podcasts like this where it's just really getting down to uh the nuts and bolts of it and um just really having just it's just awesome to have cool low-key conversations but really have value come out of it and it's just mm-hmm. the podcast medium is beautiful
0: oh it right. I almost don't listen to the radio anymore. The radio's background oh, I noise. I mean, when I get on a trip, I mean, I want to have several podcasts laid out and ready to go yep. and same. Yep. Yeah. So with that, we'll see you next week. Red Hills Rancher. Out.